Good morning. Welcome to day 398 of Walking with Jesus Through the Word, one chapter per day, our daily devotional here at Forest Hill Presbyterian Church. I'm Michael Tolersio. I'm the pastoral intern here, and I'm excited that you're joining us for this day. We're looking at Mark chapter 9 today, and we're picking up at the sort of the beginning still of the second half of Mark's gospel account. Jesus has just brought his disciples up to the point where they've confessed that he's the Christ. And then immediately thereafter, in chapter 8, he begins to teach them what it means that he's the Christ. That the Christ must suffer and die and then rise on the third day. And so we're picking up in chapter 9, just after that turning point today. And before we read the passage, why don't we ask the Lord to help heal our thinking about what it means that Jesus is the Christ, or conform our thinking at least uh, to Jesus's lordship, Jesus's kingship really over creation. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you've gifted us today with another, uh, another opportunity really to look at your word and to look at your son in it. Uh, we are being prepared by you, Lord, by your spirit, by uh, by your word, uh, by our participation in the body of Christ, we're being prepared to meet Jesus one day, face to face. We're being prepared to meet you, God. And so as that happens in this next few minutes, as we look at Mark chapter 9, we pray that we would be prepared in the way that Jesus would have us to be, that we would be uh, less prone to hold on to our lives as we desire them to be, and more ready and willing to let go of everything for the sake of being Jesus's uh, people, his the, His subjects, as, as he being the king over us and we being his citizens. We pray that we would serve him well into the future. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, Mark chapter 9, beginning in verse 1. And he, Jesus, said to them, Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it has come with power. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured before them, and his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses. And they were talking with Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. For he did not know what to say, for they were terrified. And a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. And suddenly, looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them, but Jesus only. And as they were coming down the mountain, he charged them to tell no one what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So they kept the matter to themselves, questioning what this rising from the dead might mean. And they asked him, Why did the scribes say that Elijah must come first? Must come? And he said to them, Elijah, Elijah does come first to restore all things. And how is it written of the Son of Man that he should suffer many things and be treated with contempt? But I tell you that Elijah has come, and they did to him whatever they pleased, as it is written of him. And when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them and scribes arguing with them. 
And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. And he asked them, What are you arguing about with them? And someone from the crowd answered him, Teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. And he answered them, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him. And when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy, and he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, How long has this been happening to him? And he said, From childhood. And it has often cast him into fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, If you can, all things are possible for one who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out, and the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said, He is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. And when he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, Why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, This kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. They went on from there and passed through Galilee. And he did not want anyone to know, for he was teaching his disciples, saying to them, The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he is killed, after three days he will rise. But they did not understand the saying, and were afraid to ask him. And they came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, What were you discussing on the way? But they kept silent, for on the way they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. And he sat down and called the twelve. And he said to them, If anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. And he took a child and put him in the midst of them, and taking him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. John said to him, Teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he was not following us. But Jesus said, Do not stop him, for no one who does a mighty work in my name will be able soon afterward to speak evil of me. For the one who is not against us is for us. For truly I say to you, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you belong to Christ will by no means lose his reward. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a great millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. And if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than with two hands to go to hell, to the unquenchable fire. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life lame than with two feet to be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into hell, where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. For everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good, but if the salt has lost its saltiness, how will you make it salty again? 
Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. Like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. That's from Psalm 131, verse 2. One of the shortest of the Psalms. And I think it's a great parallel to today's passage. Especially this healing activity that Jesus does of this young boy who's demon-possessed. Because after Jesus heals this young boy, who had often been cast into the fire and into water and been convulsed by this demon, after Jesus heals him, he's seemingly lifeless on the ground, lying there for a while, such that people think he had died after this healing. But Jesus takes this calmed and quieted young boy by the hand and lifts him up and restores him. And I think that that's what Jesus is doing over time in the Gospel of Mark with his disciples. I think he is healing their unbelief, right? The father of this young boy says, I believe, help my unbelief. That phrase is unique to Mark's Gospel account, even though the story there surrounding it is found in Matthew and Luke. It's because I think Mark is helping us to see what work Jesus is doing with his disciples, as well as with this young boy. He is calming them and quieting them in their pride. He's training them to renounce the trust that they naturally have in themselves, and instead to depend on him for what he alone can give, the kind of healing that he alone can do. See, he doesn't only heal people of demons and cast demons out of them, so restore them physically and and in terms of their just sanity. He also restores us and heals us in our hearts to not think so highly of ourselves all the time. See, it's funny how in the face of these disciples trying to cast out this demon themselves and failing to, they're almost immediately thereafter talking about which of them is the greatest on the way to Capernaum in verse 34. It's so deeply ingrained in them to to try to one-up everyone else that even after they've just failed to do this healing, they're still trying to think of themselves as great. And Jesus is just drawing them out and he's just reminding them that everything is about the Son of Man. Everything is about the Christ who will die and then rise again. Even the transfiguration is just a glimpse for three of these disciples, Peter, James, and John, to see the glory that's in store for Jesus specifically. He's the one who's greater than Moses, who's greater than Elijah and the prophets. He's the one whom the Father approves of. But when we take our eyes off of him and we put put them on ourselves, we miss everything. In fact, this passage of Scripture today ends with a word from Jesus to have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. The implication there is that we're not at peace with one another when we don't have salt in ourselves, when we don't have the salt that comes from Jesus, when we don't have this type of preservation of our souls that Jesus alone can provide for us, when we're not focused on that, when we don't have that salt in us, 
We're not at peace with one another. We're biting and devouring one another, as it says in Galatians chapter 5. In fact, let me read Galatians 5 for us. Just in brief here, because I think it's so relevant. Paul's writing to the Galatians, and it's that famous chapter where he talks about the fruit of the Spirit. He says in verse 13, For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. See, don't raise yourself up above one another. Serve one another. For the whole law, verse 14, is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. I think Jesus is very deliberate in today's passage to to teach his disciples to be trained by him to do whatever it takes to rid themselves of this one-upmanship, this tendency they have to look down on one another by focusing not on themselves, but he's training them to focus on him. They couldn't do the healing because they weren't praying. Because when you pray, you take your eyes off of yourself and you put them on God. And it's then that we can actually be used by him. It's then where we can actually love one another. It's then where we can actually treat people with the dignity that they ought to be treated with because they're made in God's image. It's then when we can actually benefit others and ourselves. So let's go to God now in prayer, much like the disciples should have in today's chapter when they were trying to heal this boy. Because it's only when we look at Jesus and when we focus on him that we can be useful for his kingdom. Let's go to him now and ask that he would make us useful as we go to him today and into the future. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this opportunity that we have to go to you in prayer. We pray, O Lord, that you would enable us to see Jesus more clearly as the Christ, as the Son of Man, as the Savior, the one who can cast out demons, whether it be the demons that are physically residing in people's bodies, or whether it be the demonic thoughts that we have to raise ourselves up above others and look down on them because we are doing something better in our eyes than they are. It's kind of a joke, Lord, that we would think like that. And yet it's, it's frightening at the same time. So would you please free us from such demonic thinking? And would you help our eyes to be fixated on Jesus the Christ, the one who receives all glory, now that he has come, that he has died, that he has risen, that he has ascended on high, that he's seated at your right hand, that he will come again one day. We will see him in the truest glory, Lord, such that the transfiguration was only pointing forward to. May we see him and rejoice in our hearts, as we look forward to seeing him physically one day. In his name we pray. Amen. Well, brothers and sisters, Psalm 131 that I mentioned earlier ends in this way. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Let's do that as we look at Jesus today and rejoice in him. Hopefully he'll be back with us tomorrow as we continue in 1 Samuel. But until then, be blessed, brothers and sisters.